stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders past and present, and also recognize that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance, and resilience for First Nations communities. I'm 25 years old. At my age, my mother was a new immigrant had two children under three, and barely any connections to anyone here. Me? I have a dying pot plant and haven't moved out of Sydney in 23 years. Life asked my mum to exhibit a lot of strength and resilience. And she not only did that, but did it while being the most bubbly and caring person I have ever known. I am immensely grateful to be her child. Our upcoming storytellers have similarly amazing mothers, but I'll let them share the details. First, Eileen, a Rambana Nalakan woman from central Arnhem Land, shares her experience of being stolen from her mother as a child of the stolen generation. Hello, everybody. I'm a true Territorian born and bred here. So um, I will just tell you a little bit of my life. I'm also a stolen generation person who has fought the Commonwealth for many years. Um, But this story today is about a mother's love. I was, um, I lived on a cattle station called Minoroo in central Arnhem Land with my mum my grandparents, my uncles and aunties, and all my cousins. They worked for the station manager, Mr Jack Mackay, on Minoroo Station. Mum worked as a cook in the station house and she also worked as a woman uh, station person. She rode horses, um, mustard cattle, did all those sort of things. Our women, our mothers, their story has never been told. Tonight I'm just going to talk very briefly. It's, um, it's a sad story, but at the same time it's a wonderful one because I was able to reunite with my mother. Um, she rounded up cattle like all the other women on the station. My grandparents were there all the time. They looked after me. They took me fishing, swimming with all my cousins and all my um, other relatives at the station. Um, But mum, I just loved watching and sitting in the kitchen with her, watching her as she um, cooked for the station. Um, My mother spoke very little English. She She spoke nine different dialects from Arnhem Land but very little English. She was a tall woman. I suppose that's where I get my height from. Very regal and a wonderful person. 
She worked very hard on the station and she was a loving mother. We are from the Nullican Rumburringa tribes in central Arnhem Land, which goes all the way down to Roparuva. So my grandfather was head of that, the Nullican tribe. Um, I also participated in many ceremonies with my mother and, and my family. So we travelled quite a bit, even though I was only a little small child. Because the Wilton River flows from Minoru all the way down to Nooka. And that's the river that our family belonged to. I love being with my um, mother in the kitchen, watching her cook and do all those sort of things. She made beautiful bread there, and I love the smell of the uh, cooking in the kitchen. Um, she also, I also got, um, mum would make uh, Johnny cakes for me, and uh, my nana made bread. So when I think about my childhood, I felt I had a wonderful childhood on that station, but of course the Commonwealth sought to move me. All my uncles and aunties worked on that station. Being there as a child was a happy and I was really contented child there because not often people do live with their families. I had my grandparents, my uncles and aunties who are my mother's brothers and sisters and all my cousins. I had a really good relationship with mum I thought as a child because I really loved her dearly. But one day the Native Affairs came out to the station and took me in a truck. They didn't speak to my mother. They didn't speak to anybody on the station. All he said was to me, I was only about four and a half, and he said, would you like to go for a ride? And being a curious child, I thought, yeah, that'll be lovely. I jumped on the back of the truck and we went around the community and the next went straight out. Never saw my mother again till I was 19 years old. Mum watched me go, but she didn't really say anything. I don't think she really knew what was happening. Once the Native Affairs took me, they took me to Red Dixon and then to Croker Island, another mission station. Um, and I grew up there. I stayed there till I was about 13, 14 or 15, I think. And then they brought me into Darwin High School. All that time, I longed for my mother. I wanted my mother. And every time I asked the um, missionaries, where was my mother? They said, your mother's gone. In Aboriginal context, to me, that would have meant my mother was dead. And so I kept asking my older cousin, what's happening? Where is my mother? And she said, your mother's still back there. And all my life, I longed to be able to see my mother again. Then one day, when I was training in Brisbane as a teacher, mum came into Darwin Hospital, which is on Miley Point then. And she was sitting there with a few other women and the station owner said, Eileen, I'd like you to come and meet your mother. By this time, I was 19 years old. 
brought up in the white system, had nothing to do with my Aboriginal families. And I went up to see my mother. It was an, I thought it was going to be a very exciting day because I thought here at long last, I'll see my mother again. And uh, when I got to the hospital, mum was sitting there with some other women from one of the other remote communities. And she was taking, talking language to them. And all I heard was, that's my daughter, Arlene. They stole from me. And uh, it was quite a sad time, but I was, I thought, you know, I'd be, because I was so excited about seeing my mother again, I thought, well, this woman isn't even doing anything towards me. But I'd forgotten the Aboriginal way of doing things because I'd been reared in the white system. And I kept thinking to myself, my mother don't want me. And she just sat there and tears streaming down her eyes. And she said, you are my daughter, Arlene. So even though I was feeling that mum hadn't, that my mother didn't want me, but it was because I was now a woman looking at her and I'd left her as a child. I was raised in the white system. My mother was still living in her Aboriginal system. And I kept thinking that she just didn't want me, but she did. Later on, I was able to spend 15 years of my life with her, going out to the station on every school holiday. And by that time, I'd had my children and I took them out. And again, what she said to me, I said, oh, mum, you're happy we're here? And she said, yes, I'm glad you brought your, my grandchildren. And I thought, here we go again. Does she really want me, my mother, you know? But my mother did have a really strong love for me. But because I'd been raised differently from her, I kept thinking, maybe I'm, I'm missing something here, you know? But she always asked, why did they take you from me? I was a hard worker. I worked on the cattle station. You had your whole family here. You had your grandparents here. You had all your cousins and you had your whole family here. Why did they take you, Eileen? And I said, Mum, you're black and I'm brown. And that's what the government did to us. They took us away from our black mothers to raise us in the white system. In a way, it's been good because I went off to do teacher training. That was the white system that gave me that. I ended up working for all the chief ministers in the Northern Territory, except this last one. And um, <laughs> so, you know, but I worked for a long time. I worked 30 odd years and trying to ensure that my people in the remote communities got the correct answers and, and the programs that they wanted for their communities. So that was my job. After, after I left the government, I decided I was going to fight for the stolen generation people of the Northern Territory. And that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years. Um, we ended up getting the government to finally listen to us. And this is one of the 
things I wrote, uh, said to the uh, Senate inquiry. We may go home, but we cannot relive our childhood. We may reunite with our mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, uncles, aunties, and our communities, but we cannot relive the 20, 30, 40 years that we spent without their love and care. And they cannot undo the grief and mourning they felt when we were separated from them. We can go home ourselves as Aboriginals, but this does not erase the tax inflicted on our hearts, minds and bodies and souls by caretakers who thought their mission was to eliminate us as Aboriginals. Thank you very much for listening. That story was told by Dr Eileen Cumming, an educator and social justice advocate for the Aboriginal community. Up next, Danelle shares stories of her mother. From a few moments of mischief to many moments of strength. My story is about my mother. Um, Baba Wudada was her Aboriginal name. That means long water because she was born near a billabong in December of 1932. She lived on pastoral stations north of Mullawar in Western Australia. Cattle, sheep, her parents, fixed windmills, sheared sheep, mustard cattle, fixed fences. Um, her mum was a washerwoman by hand of the household, the, the station house. And when my mum was 11 years old, she, she was old enough to go out and work. So they moved her, they took her to the next station across, Yalalong Station, and she began, she began uh, her duties as a domestic maid. Um, polishing floors, scrubbing floors, um, washing dishes, collecting cow, collecting the um, cattle out to go, bring them back to milk them, take them back out again, babysitting. Um, when the station owners entertained, she was a little maid that served food. She had to stand and wait until they finished entertaining so that she could clean up after them. But that's when her education started. She educated herself by reading all the labels of all the things that was in the pantry, that was in the kitchen, that was her life. She told me later as a, when we moved into the closest town to us that she would read our readers that we left at home sometimes, the Dickendora books, Nip and Fluff, Jack and May. Oh, all the laugh tell me you will know those books too. <laughs> so that's how she taught herself to read. As a young woman, she changed. She went through a rite of passage. She became initiated as a, as a young Aboriginal woman. And, you know, look, that's all secret business. And But she was... She was one of the few women in our area that was an initiated woman. 
And I didn't find out about all this until I was a teenager. And I said to her, Mum, why didn't you tell me? You know, I was just so proud of my mum. Why didn't you tell me that you're, you're a woman up high up in our Aboriginal society? She said, oh, it's not something to boast about. It's just, we do it. So um, I was very... And, you know, that explained all the, all the other things that happened in that... She would dream about us having babies before we knew we were pregnant. So it explained all these other things about her, that she was able to tell us we were, when we were having babies. Um, she would be able to tell us something was going to happen soon. She'd get a feeling about a person and she'd say, oh, keep away from him or don't go next to that one. Uh, anyway, um, growing up there, I couldn't work out why different, like we Yamaji people, we call Yamajis. I couldn't work out why different Yamaji people would, you could see that they treated her with respect and they said hello. And, and mind you, she was a very res respectful person too. But, you know, she loved the whole court. She loved to yarn. She loved to sit down, take her down the nearest mall. She'd just sit in the car and everybody would all come to her and talk to her. Um, we moved into, they moved into Mullawa, her and her mum, when my grandmother became too old to work out in the stations. So they moved into town and this was mum's opportunity because her life was in a changing world from indigenous traditional to the white man's world. And she realised that us kids, nine of us, we had to get an education. So that was a good thing that she moved into town with her mum. My grandmother, they was a, um, my, my grandmother was a chief babysitter because there was no social security, so my mum had to go out and work. She did odd jobs for people around town to get extra bit of flour, bit of sugar, maybe a couple of pounds of coin money that those days. So, yeah, but moving into town meant that they lost their freedom from living in the bush. So I remember as a um, young girl, we lived on the outskirts of Mullawar, and by 6pm every evening, Aboriginal people had to be in their homes. They couldn't be out walking the streets. If they were, they were arrested and put in jail for the night. So going back to the storytelling and yarning, my mum was very good at that. Sometimes we'd be at some family's home, we'd have tea there, and then they'd be yarning and yarning and yarning. Then we'd miss the curfew, so we had to, we had to sneak home. So I learned very quick what we had to do. We see a car light coming, we fall flat to the ground, face that car, to make ourselves as skinny as possible until that car went past. And that's how we would sneak back home again. We never got picked up by any police, so it must have been good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, education is very important for her. Um, made all nine of us go to school. My elder sister ended up um, in the Navy, working for the Australian High Commission. That's Marion, Ernie. Well, you, I, you know about Ernie. Um, 
I've got a couple of other sisters all in education. We're all in education. Um, so, you know, education's been important to my mum. Um, well, one of the stories I must go back to when she was uh, out in the station, she was also a mischievous girl. This is a story about Mrs Leeds, who was a boss's wife, and Lois. Um, Mrs Leeds was mum's carer because she wasn't with her family. She wasn't with her mum and dad. So mum got into trouble for something. She copped a few whacks. She didn't like what Mrs Leeds did to her. And in those times, you wash your hair once a week. It wasn't a, like it is now. So my mother got a couple of head lice out of her head and put it in, her, in Mrs Leeds' head. She, a couple of weeks later, Mrs Leeds saying, Bessie, check my head. It's really itchy. So mum looked in the head, nah, you got nothing. Even though she could all see them all there, nah, you got nothing. Oh, okay. A couple of weeks later, Mrs Leeds still scratching, so she asked mum's other sister, Hilda, have a look in this head. It's really itchy, my head. And Auntie Hilda looked and she said, oh, Mrs, you got big as mom. <laughs> So as a result of that, my mother got her hair all chopped off. <laughs> Another escapade of hers was um, climbing down the well with the snakes in the well instead of going out to fetch the cows for milking. <laughs> oh, another story was she set fire to the grass, hoping that would bring the cows back to the homestead earlier. <laughs> so yes, she was mischievous. But coming into town, she knew that education was the way to go to the point where she didn't want to teach us her language. So in that time, we lost our language. And the irony of it all is that when we've all grown up, she's gone back to schools getting paid to speak, teach um, Indigenous kids the Wajiri language. So yeah, I said, oh, yes, so we've got to pay you now to learn our language. <laughs> But mum loved her whole court. She was very infectious laugh. Everybody that knew her knew the laugh. She would just sit down and everybody would come and have a yarn with her. Anybody, black, white, brindle, anybody. I don't think there was a person that she didn't like. One of those times when we were late going to back to home because we missed a curfew, we sneaked back. And the next morning when I went back to our auntie's camp, it was in the bush, Emu feathers everywhere. The wind was swirling all these emu feathers around. And I'm thinking, where? We left here last night. Nobody plucked any emus last night, you know, like, because we didn't eat emu last night. There was none plucked, but there were feathers everywhere. We said to Mum, what's going on? You know, where all the emu feathers come from? Oh, don't worry. That Mobran man done it. Mobran man is a medicine man. He fixed your auntie up. She want to learn to stop being cheeky to people. That's one. So my, what happened was my auntie was saying disrespectful things to somebody and through native indigenous ways she got caught. And the medicine man fixed her and that explained all the emu feathers flying around everywhere. But um, another thing that mum would get quite angry and defensive 
because everybody would look at her. What are they staring at me for? But she didn't realize she was so striking. She had really dark skin and the whitest of hair. What are they staring at me? Haven't they seen a black fella before? She'd say. I said, Mum, they're looking at you because they're admiring you. You're so striking. Oh, okay. She liked, she liked that. <laughs> but um, Mum passed away on the 30th of October um, in Fremantle Hospital. Um, on that day... I didn't think it was possible to feel love, helplessness, loneliness, pride, bewilderment, all those emotions in one day. She taught us a lot, but she didn't teach us how we were supposed to get on without her. It was the hardest day of my life. But somehow we managed. Three months later, we had our first Christmas without her up here in Darwin. All the siblings came from back west. And we were in this day, it was Christmas Eve. We were in um, Casarina doing our last minute shopping. And in, down in the eatery, we all gathered. There was one spare chair, and so I rushed to it because it was really full. And there was a lady sitting there next to me. I said, can you sit here? Can I sit here? Yeah, 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 she said. She said to me, oh, so you like basketball, do you? I said, oh, yeah. I thought, yeah, I've got a basketball shirt on here, you know, so we're just making conversation, breaking the ice. Then she looked at my daughter and she said, she's a very strong sense of justice doesn't she? I looked at her. She always takes up for the underdog. Yeah, said to her. And she said to me, I'm a psychic. I'm over from Queensland for Christmas holidays. So the next two hours were spent there laughing, crying, getting all these messages because the psychic told me, she said, your mum's standing behind you. She described my mum. Oh, and there's some other people too, she said. She described these other people. She described my grandmother, two of my uncles. So she was still with us. Mind you, she was very, very busy after she passed away. She, she went to a psychic in Brisbane where Ernie was. She took it. She had another psychic down WA chasing her, her children around. <laughs> Yeah, she knew, so I'm, I'm a big believer in that. So every time um, the Psychic Expo comes to Darwin, I'm there, still getting messages. That story was told by Danelle Dingo, an Aboriginal education worker, for a SPUN event in 2017. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay respect to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung 
and Boonwurrung lands, and ACCC on Arende and Boromungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun, and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.